And I don't think that you have to be, you know, a monk or a priest in order to give to others. Like, I, I think that you can do both. And I think people just need to be more open-minded about it. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am out of my mind excited to sit down with Timothy Sykes today, somebody who absolutely inspires me to play bigger and to give bigger. Matter of fact, we talk about a moment that he didn't even realize happened when he inspired me, like changed me in the course of a few minutes to play much bigger and to give much bigger than I am right now. So it's really fun to tell him about that moment during this interview. You know, you never know who you are leaving an impression on. So always do your best to show up your best because you can create such a ripple in the world the way Tim has with me and so many other people that he inspires to play bigger and to give bigger. Now, speaking of inspiring people, I try to inspire you to think bigger and to do better because of course, when good people make good money, they do great things. And we try and help you to do that through our masterminds and through our coaching programs. But the one that I am enjoying the most right now is our VIP days where you get to come to our home and my team becomes your team. And we roll up our sleeves and we work on your business for two half days back to back. Even though we call it a VIP day, it's two half days back to back so that you can sleep on it overnight and process it a little bit before coming in and finishing up the next day. And our team literally solves all of your business problems, gives you clarity, and you leave with a huge set of next action steps and the dates to do them by. It's one of the biggest game changers that you could possibly ever invest in when it comes to moving your business forward. So if you're curious about one of our VIP days, we are very selective about who gets to show up in our home and who we're going to dedicate our two half days back-to-back working with. So start the conversation by sending me a DM on Instagram, or you can email me at chris at fortheloveofmoney.com. Go ahead and put VIP day in the title, chris at fortheloveofmoney.com, or just DM me on Instagram. We'll get the conversation started. And if it's a good fit, then we are going to change your business and your life in just two short days right here in our home. It's our favorite thing that we do. So let's dive into chatting with Mr. Tim Sykes. Of course, he's the multi-millionaire stock trader and teacher who's famous for turning, ready for this, $12,000 of his bar mitzvah money into almost $5 million through trading penny stocks. How cool is that? You're going to love the story when he tells it. Now he runs the largest online training academy for teaching other people how to trade penny stocks. And of course, you know, for all of his accolades, he's been featured on CNN and ABC and the New York Times. You can't turn on TV without seeing some kind of great story about Tim and his success and the ripple that he's leaving in the world. Now, Tim's love for charity is why I really wanted to chat with him today. Because we met through a Pencils of Promise event. And I immediately knew that this was somebody for me to learn from and to be inspired by. You know, Tim started his own foundation called 
Karmagawa, and it donates to dozens of charities, not just one, but dozens of charities, charities that he wants to make a difference in, including he once made a million dollar donation to Pencils of Promise. And then you're going to love the story that we tell where I saw him get up right after making that million dollar donation and donate almost $400,000 more. You're going to love that story. Now, why does he do this? Well, he's got a lot of goals, but one of my favorite goals of Tim's is that he wants to build a thousand schools for underprivileged youth. And in addition to supporting underprivileged education, he's going to blow your mind with what he has to say about this urgent problem regarding animal preservation. I mean, it's going to shock you. You're not going to believe some of the, the species and some of the crops and plants that are at risk right now and just how little time we have. I think you're going to leave this episode absolutely inspired to play so much bigger and then to give so much bigger, realizing that you do have a very important role to show up in this world and to do your part. Now, to keep it interesting, we also talk about how to handle the haters because he is a big personality. You got to go follow him on Instagram. He's got a big personality, which of course is going to attract haters. And so we talk about how do you handle the haters when you go all in and you really put yourself out there because you have to you have to burn the boats. You have to go all in if you're going to be successful. And Tim has definitely done that. And we even debunk the myth that you have to live conservatively or like a martyr if you want to make a difference. You know, we prove why it's okay to enjoy an extravagant life at the same time as making a huge difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired. Get ready to be absolutely shocked and motivated and ready to go to an entirely different level because this episode is fire. Tim, my friend, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. Now, the audience doesn't realize this, but you are in Singapore making it happen, trading stocks, doing charity work, and carving out time for us. I got to give you a huge thank you. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I, I love to travel and I love doing interviews. So let's let's do it. It's one of my favorite things about you. I was just telling you offline, but uh, in the little bit that I've gotten to know you and been able to watch you from afar, you know, you lead this life that is, I'm going to use the word extraordinary in so many ways. So I'm really excited to dive into that. But first, we're going to start with some rapid fire. It's just kind of a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And if something really sure. good comes up, we'll kind of circle back around, do a deep dive. How's that? Okay. All right, cool. We're going to start easy. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Orange, Connecticut. And where do you live now? Uh, the world. The world. I knew that was going to be your answer. Favorite quote? Uh, um, eat, drink, and be merry. One of your superpowers? My work ethic. Uh, for sure. One of your favorite books? The Fountainhead. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Time zones. <laughs> who's somebody who's changed your life? Tim Berners-Lee in the internet. Three more. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? Uh, donating a million dollars to Pencils of Promise. Man, we're going to talk about that. And what is something generous you've done recently? Uh, just opened uh, my charity's 48th school in Bali uh, just a few days ago. Wow, that's insane. Congratulations, man. Thank you. It's a start. And then last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Just to be alive and the opportunity that we have here. And you and me both. Okay, so... Let's start here. Let's start with this infamous story where you started trading penny stocks way back at the end of the 90s with only $12,000 that you started with. I think it was like part of your bar mitzvah gift or something like that. And you turned it into several million dollars. Can you share that story with us? 
Yeah, my parents gave me control of my, my bar mitzvah money when I was in high school. I was a tennis player, but I was injured. So they thought that I needed something to do because um, I was already into college early admission. So they gave me the money and they thought I would lose it all within you know a pretty short time and I would learn the value of a dollar. And instead, I made over $100,000 senior year of high school, close to a million dollars freshman year. And by the time I graduated college, it was nearly $2 million. Um, and I gravitated towards these low price stocks that pretty much the whole world hates. But I have had great success buying and betting against them. You can actually make money when they go down. So a lot of people are familiar with them only through the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so they're like, oh, it's all a scam. You must be a scam. Um, they are many of them scams, but you can actually make money when they crash. So for me, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it's just very logical. The one caveat I have to say is that it sounds all great, 12,000 into you know now nearly uh, $5 million. But at the same time, it's very small in terms of scalability. Um, I can never work at like a billion dollar hedge fund and, and do the same strategy. So I actually go back to $12,000 every year and I show my screen and I have students now I teach. Um, and that way, you know, I can show people how to grow their account small trades at a time. Like last night, the stock market is open here at night. I made about $575. It's fascinating because when people think of you, they, they picture you making these multi-million dollar trades. But then when they follow your Instagram, they see some pretty modest gains and some pretty modest trades. Is there just not enough liquidity in the market, not enough availability for you to make huge money in, in one swoop? Um, I mean, there is the liquidity. Like the, I, I trade the most active penny stocks. So the one I was trading uh, last night, you know, traded nearly 100 million shares on the day. It's tough to really be that predictable for the short term. So it's the bigger you go, the more risk you take. And if you're wrong, you know, a lot of the time, like I'm wrong 30%. So a lot of the time you just can't really control such a huge position. Um, so it's a little scalability, but also for me, I just like high odds trades. Like it, I, I get into a very good groove where I can make a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars and, and teach others to do the same. And, you know, my top student has gone from 1500 into $7.6 million now. So Jeez. that's, it's good for the average person. But again, on Wall Street, it's small, small time stuff. And, and therein lies the opportunity because almost every uh, wealthy person I know, all the smartest people I know, ignore penny stocks completely, which is good. So I'm competing against, you know, a lot of people who are not financially savvy. Um, I, I make the analogy, it's like competing against a midget playing basketball instead of <laughs> competing against Kobe Bryant, who would be like the top traders in Forex. Oh my God, that's a good analogy. It's funny that you brought up Wolf of Wall Street. I was actually thinking Boiler Room, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, by the way. I think I've seen it over a hundred times. And uh, So those little known fact, that is the same movie just told from different uh, standpoints. Boiler Room is the more technical version. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is the drug fueled crazy criminal uh, standpoint of the, that whole story. But they're both Stratton Oakmon and Jordan Belfort's story. No way. I'd never put two and two together like that. Yeah. That's crazy. fascinating. Do you know him? Do you know Jordan or no? No, I've just ripped on him a few times. And, you know, people ask me what I think about him. And I say, hey, if you want to be, you know, a career criminal, I highly uh, encourage you to learn <laughs> from him. Like he has proven time and again that he knows exactly how to scam um, and he'll do it again. 
Oh, man. So let me ask you this. Is this a sector that we should be way more aware of, that we should be paying way more attention to? Let's use me, for example. You're right. It's something that I've ignored up to this point. But then I see individuals like you doing such a a good job in this sector and all your students as well. Should I be paying attention to this? I mean, if you have a lot of time, there are pretty predictable patterns that happen again and again and again, uh, which is what I specialize in. Um, I think it's also good just to learn about, you know, how to spot a scam, even if you're not going to become a trader. Like there are some really, you know, glaring signs at what a scam is. Uh, So I teach that. I think it's good. I I think it's important to learn about, you know, finance, no matter who you are or, or where you are in your life. So that, you know, maybe it's not even you, maybe your friend or your family is invested in a penny stock and you can help them like probably not do it. You know, most of these penny stocks fail. For me, I'm just trading their volatility for a few hours, few days, few weeks. Um, But too many people actually believe in these companies and their miracle technologies and it never pans out. Like it's literally like one in like 10,000. So the odds are just terrible. Are you making more money by shorting them? Because so many of them are scams and so it's just inevitable. It's a waiting game. Or is it in the volatility, just in the movement up and down that you're able to take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, it's both. I made my first million going long. I made my second million going short. Now I go back and forth. It's whatever opportunities come up, you know, with with Bitcoin and a lot of marijuana stocks, uh, you had huge upside and now huge downside. So literally you can make money on both different students of mine. Um, I now have 9,000 plus around the world. And I've learned that they all have different personalities and different, you know, characteristics and strengths and weaknesses. Some like going long early on in the the hype pattern um, or, you know, shorting near the top or even dip buying after the first big crash. There's a few key patterns that play out again and again and again. So you get to choose. You talked about predictability. Is this, are your students just average Joes that can plug into your system or do they really have to get the skin in the game and learn and get burnt and have a bunch of trial and error? Yeah, I, I think it's a mix of both. Um, you know, uh, when, when you have thousands of students, I mean, that's a pretty big data set. So there's people from all over the world, people who know nothing, some people who have traded before, some people who know uh, a good amount. For me, it's not one magic formula for getting rich. It's it's like, how do you make $500 or $1,000 in a day or two? And then how do you repeat that process over and over again? Um, I would say none of my students are like geniuses or, you know, NASA type um, qualities uh, with their, their mathematical skills. It's just learning the game. And I, and I will say all of my top students, I have five students who have now uh, eclipsed a million dollars in profits. All of them have studied their butts off. I don't have uh, a way to really speed up your journey so that you can make a million dollars in like one day, one week, one month. It takes a few years. But I will say that all of my top students so far, which is funny, have been from or are living in the Midwest. And I speculate that is because the Midwest and the U.S. is so boring and there's nothing to do. They just study more. <laughs> And it's, I know it sounds funny, but it's, it's actually true. Like I have 6,000 video lessons. You, you kind of have to just get used to these patterns because it's so, such a weird little game. Like I would never have expected any of the stuff that works to work. Um, it's very counterintuitive. And frankly, that's why I became a teacher because I like, you know, being the mentor to people I never had. I was totally self-taught and while I was successful, it was very frustrating um, it took a while. So now I'm, I'm trying to speed it up for others. I love that you're paying it forward, by the way. Are, what's the bigger business for you now? Is it the educational side or the trading side? 
um, educational because I go back to 12,000 every year. Um, I don't have to. I mean, I could have a, a 10 plus million dollar account, but it would do me no good to make you know a few million more um, just from trading and taking a big position like uh, some traders do. You know, they they kind of use their subscribers because they want to take their big positions. For me, I donate any money I make from trading. I trade with a small account. I want to show the process um, because that is what matters. It's not about like any one hot pick. It's learning how to actually trade, how to manage risk, how to cut losses, how to pick uh, stocks that you know actually can spike, how to short sell. So it's 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 very intricate. And for me, it's not about the money anymore. If someone makes their first hundred dollars, but they learned how to do it the right way, I'm very happy. So just to start, kind of put a bow on on this piece of the interview, literally hours ago, I wired. Um, six figures to a startup that I believe in and took a, a chunk of equity in their company. If you and I sat side by side for 30 or 60 or 90 days and took that same hundred grand, would I be better off trading in this market than putting it into startups like I did? I'm glad you said this market because this market, yes, it's a very hot market. Um, there's a lot of stocks that are spiking. It all depends on the market environment and the number of, of good plays. So uh, if you had asked me this in December uh, when you know the stock market and equity markets around the world were, were crashing, I would say go you know invest elsewhere because there's literally very little to do in December. Um, but January and February now, um, we've had so many plays, and especially in February. Um, so yeah, I, it, it just depends. And it also depends on your time too. Like it's not just about the money. Like how much time do you have in order to learn this? Like this is a new skill. My top student might have made over $7 million, but he made nothing the first nine months while he was just testing and learning. So everyone has different goals and, and different personalities and different uh, time perspectives. So you have to do what's right for you. I, I would always say like learn a new skill because you never know when the next hot sector is going to come. You know, if it's going to be, uh, you know, weed stocks again or some new mineral like unobtainium is going to get discovered. And then you're going to have a ton of those little plays. I love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit. You've created this persona. And, and by the way, everybody has to go follow you on Instagram because you're one of the most fascinating people to follow. You've got this lifestyle and I'm going to paint it as this. Feel free to correct me. It's this fascinating travel the world playboy type character. And I mean this as a compliment, by the way. Uh, you're like the James Bond or Hugh Hefner of the trading world who wanders <laughs> the world and, and does exciting things with beautiful women. Is this how you pictured your life growing up? Like, was this the end goal or did you just fall into this lifestyle? Um, I mean, I believe that you create your own, you know, dreams in, in your life that you want. Um, so for me, I, I've created this and I'm, I'm very fortunate and I love it um, and I enjoy it. Um, I did not picture this. I did not picture, you know, I could not have pictured social media or sharing it all uh, transparently or going back to 12,000 every year. Like that's just weird. Um, I, I did want to be rich when I was growing up. I did want to have an amazing life, but um over time, you know, experiences have shaped me. Like, even if you've asked me five years ago, would I be traveling and doing charity everywhere I go? The answer would be no, because back then I was just, you know, traveling, but traveling got old. Now, you know, actually helping the communities that I visit and, you know, changing them um, and having like the locals kind of become like friends and family. I mean, that's added a whole new layer to my life. So I think that you you can have dreams and you should dream big, but they're going to evolve over time. Yeah. Best place you ever traveled? Japan. Why? 
the food, the culture, the history, the people, um, the environment. I just am fascinated by everything having to do with Japan. I love it. So when you were just describing, you know, the daydreaming and the growing up and and choosing and, and manifesting your life, one thing stood out for me, and it was when you talked about kind of getting you don't use the word bored, but realizing that traveling wasn't all it was cracked up to be and you you wanted fulfillment from something else. And that kind of led you towards philanthropy, something that you and I really share a common ethos on. Where did this yeah. love of philanthropy come from? Because you are one of the key personalities I think of now in this day and age when I think of a, a fun to follow philanthropist. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's total evolution. You can only go to so many luxury resorts and have so many pina coladas with a view, you know, before it starts getting old and you start looking for more meaning. And I think this is what a lot of wealthy people um, have problems with where they work their whole lives or they dream big and they actually are successful. They make a lot of money. And then it's like, then what? Um, you know, they've, they've done all they've set out to do and then they're still not happy. And it's like, well, damn, how do I get happy? So you start trying different stuff um, and getting into philanthropy for me made me happier than the money that I've made myself, you know, infinitely more. And I never would have expected that. You know, I was I was very selfish um, and self-centered for the vast majority of my life. But, you know, you, you have to learn, you have to go through your own journey. So even if, you know, you discover this two decades or one decade too late, you know, every single day you can start to try. And it's not just about giving money. Philanthropy is a whole way of life and, and just giving back to others and helping others and getting involved with causes that you might have before said no to. So it's it's a whole different way of looking at the world. And it's really, really fascinating. I've got a, this favorite memory and, and it's a memory that absolutely inspired me to play bigger. It was literally a shifting moment in my life. And involves you and you have no idea about this moment that shifted my life. So wow. it was two years Tell ago me. at Pencils of Promise in New York and I was sitting at our mutual friend Lewis's table and right as the auction was about to begin, you jump up there and you said, I know I just gave a million bucks last month or whatever it was, but I will match everybody's bid here tonight. So you guys better come and you better come big because we want to give as much as possible. And I remember sitting across from Lewis and saying, now that is the level that I want to be able to play at. And I have no idea how many extra hundreds of thousands you ended up giving that night, but it was a ton. And that's the level I want to be able to play at. What does it mean to you to be able to have those moments in your life? Yeah, that was an extra $400,000. That, that, <laughs> that, was, that was fun. For me, it's a, it's a tremendous honor because the money that we raise, especially for charities like Pencils of Promise, which you know operates in third world countries, the money goes so far, like $400,000, a million dollars, that's good money in the US, but it's not going to do much. Like That kind of money changes communities, countless communities in third world countries. Um, so it's, for me, it's like, how much can I actually influence the world and change the world? And it's not just, you know, building schools. My most successful charity endeavor um, has been with Vetpa, which is a charity um, that trains uh, ex-soldiers to kind of recalibrate their skills from war to fighting poachers um, and save endangered animals down in South Africa. Uh, my group, Karmagawa, um, went down there uh, two times and we filmed everything that we learned. We put it into this video that has now been shared over 30 million times in just uh, two and a half months. Um, and it exploded. I mean, it has over 3 million likes and over 7 million shares on uh, social media, which is just crazy for a charity video. And that has 
a lot of animal conservationists say like that has redefined that niche. So I think that the the intersection of charity and social media is just beginning because I I have no background in you know viral videos or uh, charity or uh, marketing. Like we didn't even have a business account and the thing exploded. I was in the Seychelles and we just posted it. So I'm I'm really fascinated by what we can do, not just in terms of giving money, but in terms of giving exposure um, and getting you know a massive amount of people, especially the younger generation, involved with caring about you know other humans and, and the planet and animals more. That's fascinating. What do we need to know about animal conservation that most of us aren't paying attention to? You know, I think the video really went viral because people don't realize that it's so urgent. You know, we never had a problem with rhinos. Uh, literally just a decade ago, but now in the past decade, we have decimated their population through poaching and a ton of other uh, issues. And they basically only have five years left uh, before they're gone. Elephants have, you know, 10 years left. Giraffes are now in danger. They have 10 years left. So I don't think people realize like this is the decade to do something. Otherwise, it'll be too late. That blows my mind. Five and 10 years left. And you're saying they're going to be gone if we don't make a massive shift? Correct, because it's, you know, I mean, there's an elephant dying every 15 minutes. There's still, you know, quite a few elephants, like 400,000 elephants left, but we're literally killing 40,000 roughly, you know, per year right now. Um, And rhinos, there's three a day getting killed um, and there's only 5,000 left. So it's it's crazy the numbers, you know, the the World Wildlife Foundation uh, Fund just released some numbers saying that we have killed uh, roughly 60% of wildlife in the past 45 years. And it's, you know, for so many different reasons, for food, for trade, for just money, basically. And, you know, it's sad and we can say humans are terrible, but we also have the potential to change and it's not too late yet. Um, so that's why, you know, when I'm building schools, my goal is still to build a thousand schools and I'm going to do that. But at the same time, the animals don't have many more years left. So that's become kind of an urgent call for me. I'm here in Asia, heading over to Australia. We're going to do a whole video on saving the coral reef. I just bought savethereef.org. So in a few months, you'll be able to check out that website. And we're going to do a whole bunch of stuff to try to do that because the coral reef is basically dying. And that's going to be gone by 2050. And while it's sad, some people are like, well, we don't really need the reef, but we do. You know, hundreds of millions of people depend on this. We don't realize like things like surfing will go be extinct. Like you won't be able to surf in two or three decades because there will be no reefs left. Like it's crazy. These are all things we take for granted. Like we think we'll always go to the zoo and see an elephant. You know, we think the lucky few of us will get to go to Africa and do a safari. We just take the stuff for granted. And if it weren't for individuals like you that have the big following and the big personality and the big audacious goals, these things would probably just kind of stay under the radar. Is that right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Like people just don't know. Like I even while I'm researching the coral reefs, I just found out that chocolate is going extinct. Most people don't know that, but chocolate beans basically can't survive. We've already uh, basically wiped out 30 to 40% of all chocolate. So a lot of the chocolate that we eat after 2050, when it's estimated that it's going to be gone, will all be genetically modified chocolate. Oh so God. like, it's crazy the kinds of things that we're doing to our planet. And we have to really wake up and change like ASAP. What comes up for you if I were to say this? I believe that all of us actually have an obligation to be successful so that we can do our part in helping any of the causes that mean something to us that we care about. But the unfortunate part is most people just aren't holding up their end of the bargain. So they're not becoming successful enough 
and they're not doing what it takes in order to make a dent where they want to make a difference. Is that true, false, and why? Yeah, I mean, it's a nice thought if, if people thought of success as an obligation. I think most people are just lazy in my experience. Yeah. You know, They don't want to be bothered with the world's problems. They don't want to be bothered even with success. Like if you offer them like, oh, you know, you can be rich, you can change the world, you can explore the world, you can do all this stuff, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Or you can just sit at home and watch Netflix and play Fortnite. The vast majority of people will take the safe option. No different than most people who, you know, like their nine to five jobs rather than trying to, you know, do a startup or risk it. They, people like safety and, and they like their their small, you know, mindset and, and small homes and, and whatever feels comfortable. So I wish more people would get out there, but I, I think it takes a certain, uh, you know, again, work ethic, which is my, my top skill. Well, one by one, you're inspiring people to, to wake up and do it. Why are third world schools so important to you? And this is another one of these things that I think the average Joe kind of takes for granted. They say, oh, that's somebody else's problem or that's the other side of the world. It's out of sight, out of mind. What, tell, explain yeah, us why it's so um, important. I mean, there's two things. So what we were talking about before with the animal conservation, you know, that's very urgent. We, we don't have like a decade to spare. Uh, with schools, especially in third world, it's going to take time. Um, to really, you know, educate the kids, then the kids have to grow up and get jobs. And then, you know, they can theoretically bring in more money for their family, and we can gradually fight back against poverty. Um, so that's more of a long term goal. So, you know, changing the world urgently before it's too late with animals, and then educating the world long term, it's everybody's problem, because what we don't realize, you know, both of these situations are very sad, especially in Africa, you know, Africa, uh, one of their main uh, revenue generators is tourism. So if there's no animals left, there's no tourism. Um, and then they become, all these nations become even more poor and embattled. And there's going to be a lot of violence. There's going to be a lot of disease. And that's going to seep out over all over the world, um, not just in Africa. Like people think, oh, it's out of sight, out of mind. But we're all interconnected. And globalization has been good for business. If we leave basically a continent to die, it's going to really boil over. And they're going to be coming, you know, everywhere. Like the, the problems are going to be all over the world. Um, and we need to consider this. So education in the long run is the most sustainable thing to do, you know, with these animals. Like we don't have a, we don't have time to have like some long-term plan. We need to change that right now. But with education, long-term, uh, that's the only way to think. All right. So let's stay one foot in philanthropy, one foot in lifestyle. And here's a question that I get a lot. I'm curious what your take is on this. So you have Lamborghinis, you stay in the most beautiful villas on the planet. You know, you spend a lot of money on this incredible lifestyle, as do I. And I'll, once in a while, we'll have people say, if philanthropy or making a difference is so important to you, why are you spending 300 grand on a car? Or why do you spend this on a house? Or why do you fly this way? What is your answer to somebody who has that concern? Yeah, again, it's, it's doing what you choose. Like philanthropy, I don't think should be, you know, giving all your money away and, and, you know, suffering personally. Like it's, it's my honor to give to others, but at the same time, I do like splurging on myself. I like splurging on friends and family. Um, and I constantly need to stay inspired too. You know, I go to these beautiful places, not just for my, you know, just take photos with Instagram. Like I love going to these places. I love treating myself. I work my butt off. So a lot of people like to say, oh, like you should be one or the other. I think that you should be more open-minded. You know, if you've made a lot of money, then the person can, you know, choose to live how they want. Um, I see some, you know, really big philanthropists getting crap for, you know, flying and, and their little 
carbon footprint. Mm. Again, any one of us, like the stuff that we use, I'm sorry to, to go against the grain here, but like the, our single use plastic that we use over our lifetime or our own uh, carbon emissions and our own personal stuff, that's not going to make or break everything. So for me, I want to live and flying is a necessary must. I'm trying to use less plastic. I'm trying to eat less meat. You know? like I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I know what the right thing is. But at the same time, like you still have to live. And I don't think that you have to be you know, a monk um, or a priest in order to give to others. Like, I, I think that you can do both. And I think people just need to be more open-minded about it. You know, I, I would agree to you what, with you. What I would add just from my perspective is I'm more motivated when I get to recover in a beautiful setting. And, and I dream bigger and I play bigger and, and therefore I produce bigger and have more of this tool called money to give because I'm inspired by my surroundings, because I'm motivated by more than just one thing being philanthropy. And and so I really do, uh, you know, I'm on team Tim there. I really believe that it's perfectly okay to spoil yourself on this journey of making a difference to other people as well. Now you kind of referenced haters and, and you had this fascinating IG story yesterday where you actually were talking about um, turning one of your original haters into a millionaire student. And then you went on to talk about assumptions that other people make about you. What assumptions do you think people make about you? And what were you talking about yesterday? Oh, so many. Um, assumptions are uh, just what goes around, especially with social media, especially with like lifestyle marketing. Like when you show off your cars, like when you show off your charity donations, why are you showing that off? You know, a lot of people just like to brag. They like to look good for the gram. It's about ego. For me, because everything I do is centered around teaching, it's all about inspiring my students. Like, yes, my charity has built 48 schools. But the cool thing is that my followers, because I've shared everything and, you know, how happy it makes me, my followers are now beginning to make their own schools. And by my count, we have 15 more schools that have been built by my students and by my followers. And like with the beautiful places, again, it's, it's not a question of is it okay? Like it, that's like defensive. Like I'm proud to show it, okay? Like I, I enjoy the haters. I enjoy people telling me what I should do with my life and what I should do with my money. Like you guys don't get a voice. Um, the cool thing is I get to do what I want. I get to travel to these places and I'm not just – you know, making an excuse because I want to live well. Like I really, really enjoy these places and it makes me, uh, you know, have a healthier mind, healthier body. So yeah, I can give more, but I can also be me and I can live. Like a lot of charity people, they're like, well, it's, it's only about giving money. So like any money you spend on yourself could have been spent better on third world countries. And I think there's a balance. I think that you can do both and focusing on yourself, I know it's not popular, but you know, this is why when I, you're asking what was my one of my favorite books, The Fountainhead, Ayn Rand. I mean, she has a whole like series on how to be, you know, kind of uh, selfish, but being selfish for the greater good. If you look at like airline uh, safety videos, you know, you put your mask on first before helping others. If you just put mask on other people, you're going to pass out and you can't help others. So I think that you help yourself and you help others. And for me, as someone who shares everything transparently, it's a conversation. Like, I'm not afraid of haters. I'm not afraid of critics. We have a conversation. We go back and forth. And I learn things. I learn about myself. I learn about others. Um, when I first got started teaching, I was very rigid with my rules. I was like, this is how you must trade stocks. And now I've been teaching for 10 plus years. I've become more open-minded now that I see what my students do. Um, I have more haters now. I have more critics, but I welcome them because I give everyone a chance. This is why I have a thousand plus 
free videos on YouTube. If you think I'm full of BS, go watch the free videos. There's no money risk whatsoever. But I deal with penny stocks. You know, Jordan Belfort is the most uh, you know notorious penny stock person in the world. So I've been compared to him. But what he did was scam people. What I do is teach people. So two very different things. And the cool thing is, if you're real, if the facts and the stats you know support you, you can take on anybody. And all that criticism, all the assumptions actually go to helping you. Um, I get a lot of messages from people being like, wow, I heard about you, I hated you, but the more I learned, I got intrigued. And now you know, I'm one of your students and I'm very grateful. So if you can turn your haters into fans and you know, raging uh, fans, like just not just like, oh, I, I, I kind of like this guy, but like, wow, <laughs> they really understand both sides of the coin. They, they see what it was like to hate me. They see you know, kind of the bad side. And then they correct their assumptions. And then the good side makes this whole transformation that much more fulfilling. Oh man, freaking great answer. I love it. What's the best way to handle haters then? If you're gonna if you're gonna go all in as a lifestyle brand and play big enough to get noticed, do you have a policy around the best way to handle haters? I mean, just don't get emotional. Like you, you I mean, I, I create my own haters just with my posts, and I know that. But for me, it's I I, I want to invoke emotion uh, in my following. Like it's it's not about like just bragging. I, I want people to think. So a lot of my photos and videos, like I'm in these beautiful places, but I'm holding up a laptop. And that really pisses off a lot of people who are like, enjoy the moment. And then I, that allows me to give into a whole speech about how, yeah, you can enjoy the moment, but you also have to think long term and you have to study hard. And I have this whole thing like the laptop lifestyle, you know, so I, I, I can prepare. I, I would encourage people to drop some little like a trail of breadcrumbs. Like if you, if you know that you're going to have haters, you can kind of organize you know, their arguments against you so that you can be ready. So I, I kind of trap my haters into thinking one thing so that I can make my point through DMs and then really change their mindset. Man, I love it. Tim, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're in Singapore. And so I'll ask you just a couple more questions here real quick. Um, cool. Do you have an all-time favorite moment of giving that stands out to you? Um, when I announced the million dollar donation to Pencils of Promise, I was in Laos at, at one of my school openings. And, uh, you know, I, I surprised everybody. I surprised even myself. I wasn't supposed to give that much, but I just, I love what they're doing. So I said it and, you know, they were translating it, but, you know, they mistranslated it. So at first they, they said that I donated $1,000, which, you know, the Laos <laughs> people were, were still very happy with, you know, $1,000 goes a, a long way there. But uh, then after like a few seconds, they're like, oh no, it's, it's, it, it was a different translation. And then the crowd really went crazy. They can't even, you know, think about like what a million dollars is. And for me, that was one of my, you know, greatest honors. All these little kids were coming up to hug me. Um, I was also covered in mud because that morning uh, the group and I had decided to try to go hiking in this uh, mountain, and we kind of got stuck in a rainstorm. So we're sliding down the mountain trying to make it back to the school, and all the kids thought that I like had pooed in my pants, even though it was just mud. So. <laughs> That was funny. I love it. It's, getting a school donated in your name is one of the best feelings on the planet, isn't it? My wife and I have one in Guatemala and we were over there for the dedication and there's no feeling like it on, on planet earth. It's just amazing. I agree 100%. Um, that's why, you know, it's, it's actually kind of become like a drug for me. Like I, I want more school openings and it's not just in my name that gets boring after a while. So I started naming it after my top students and, and friends and family and it's going to keep going. That's awesome. The way that you inspire me to play bigger and give bigger, who inspires you right now? 
I would say Elon Musk, just because of, of how much he's doing uh, for mankind and, and just multitasking. Although I would say he gets a little too emotional on Twitter and gets a little too emotional in the press. And, and that causes him some some issues. You know, he had a big fine with the SEC just because he basically got a little too emotional on Twitter. So the old 420 watch out. Watch Twitter is very bet. dangerous. Yeah, for sure. I bet he regrets that one right now. All right. Before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? Where should we follow you? How can we plug into you? Google the name Timothy Sykes. I'm on every major social network. TimothySykes.com is my main website with 8,000 blog posts. I, you know, if you want to learn, come talk to me. If you want to be offended by my bluntness, come talk to me. If you're lazy, don't talk to me. If you want hot picks, don't talk to me. I know most people say, oh, like everyone come. But for me, it's like quality over quantity. Um, I only have so many hours in the day and I just have learned to really focus on dedicated students. So if, if someone's like on the fence, I'm just like, don't learn. I don't have time. I don't have patience. It's not going to end well. In order to be truly successful in the stock market, you really do have to be dedicated to learning. Um, so people need to come to me with the right mindset or not at all. Man, I love it. Okay, last question is this. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? Just because, you know, like we're living in a world where, where money talks. And I know that it has like this kind of bad stigma associated with it and talking about it publicly. Like it's... It's like the worst thing ever, but I don't know. I, I just don't feel that that taboo. I, I like the controversy. Um, I like being real. You know, like if you look at our president, I mean, he became president basically because he has a lot of money, not because of the things that he says or the things that he believes. Like money talks in this world, whether you agree with it or not. Like that is the the reality that we have. So you have to learn to play the game. And the richer you get, the more freedom that you get. I'm not saying that money can buy happiness, but it's that freedom that allows you to figure out what makes you happy, whether it's traveling or, you know, taking care of your family or taking care of yourself or, you know, maybe just playing Fortnite in your room like that makes you happiest. Well, then maybe you can get a badass TV and, you know, the best equipment in the world. There's no one right thing to spend money on um, and there's no one right way to, you know, become happy. You have to figure that out for yourself. But the sad reality is that most people don't have enough money. They're working for a job they hate, for a boss they hate, and they're not living the life they want. So they have to live through, you know, these kind of really soulless entertainment platforms so for me, I think that this is about like your future. Like you need money. You, you should look to strive to get your own freedom. We might not be slaves, um, but we're slaves of a different kind. And it's really sad the messages I get from people who are really unhappy, who don't have enough money. So the cool thing is that money, you know, it's sad that money rules the world. But the cool thing is you can actually get it with enough hard work and education. And you don't have to go to college anymore. You don't have to go six figures into student loan debt. Like you can learn everything you need over the internet if you're just dedicated and you have the right mindset about it. Um, so we have like this kind of kind of harsh world, but we also have the greatest opportunity, I believe, in the history of the world to self-educate, which has never before been possible. You know, maybe you could go to the library and you could, you know, read a few books, but now we have this real-time massive education information platform at our fingertips. And I think that people need to use it better rather than just playing little games or using filters. Um, I think social media is the next great education platform, not just the internet, but using other people to teach you. 
and, and kind of reacting to your own little self-made community. So I encourage you to study up, focus on what you love, but also build a community, like get as many followers. I'm not saying buy fake followers. I'm saying like interact with a whole community of your own. That's what I'm also most proud of. Like it's not just my five millionaire students, it's the thousands of students in my community who are looking to do better. It takes a while to make a million dollars. A lot of people say, oh, why do you only have a few millionaire students? Well, most of my students start with like two or $3,000. It's not <laughs> easy to get to a million dollars very quickly, but they're learning. And I have thousands of students who are studying every single day and you know, getting a little better. And that's what we can do. Like it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful time to be alive if we just capitalize on it. Or, you know, you could ignore me and just stay in your, you know, job that you hate or six-figure student loan debt like too many people and be bitter about money. Um, it's totally in your control. And that's, I think, the gift of this. But people just need to be pushed a little. Ah, drop that mic. Timothy Sykes, I freaking love it. It's such a good answer, my friend. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for the way that you show up. You inspire my wife and I and, and several other people. It has a trickle-down effect. And, and just know, just like that moment at Pencils of Promise, when you have no idea that you're changing someone's life and making them play bigger, you're doing it every day. And I appreciate you for it. Oh, thank you, my man. It's, it's, uh, it's truly an honor. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.